Amen. Great. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Good to see so many of you again. I can't believe it. Uh, bank holiday weekend and the sun's out and uh, we've been singing Let It Rain. Uh, I stopped singing at that point. I, I was with God until that moment came and then I thought, I cannot bring myself to sing Let It Rain. We've been waiting weeks and months for this weather, haven't we? And now it's finally come. We don't want rain, do we? Spiritual rain, maybe, but not, not physical rain um, at all. No way. Thank you very much. Well, um, today is Pentecost Sunday, isn't it? I think we've, we've worked that one out all, already. And, and who better to preach on Pentecost Sunday than a Pentecostal minister? I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> um, I've got to preach on these occasions, haven't I? And um, it's only right that, that I do. And I, I created this all myself, actually. Well, I put the words on it anyway. Um, I, 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 chose the, uh, I chose the font. And uh, so we're going to think about Pentecost today and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I want to read those words again. They're going to go up on screen. Acts 2 uh, that have been read twice to us, I think, already today. Um, and um, I want you to just to try and uh, sort of picture this. I think we read the Word of God, um, and, and we've read it so many times, familiar words, and I don't think we ever, or rarely do we actually put ourselves in that position where we, we sort of think, what was that like at that moment? How did that feel? What would my emotions have been? What would I have experienced in this moment? And it says this, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's difficult to comprehend it, isn't it? To, to sort of to picture it, to put yourself there. It, we've, we read it cold, don't we? We read it sort of sanitised in a way. We've, we've no real sense of, of what that must have been like. And this wasn't some gentle breeze that maybe someone on the front row can feel through the, the gaps in the, you know, in the doors that are open. And it wasn't a gentle breeze. And, and the fire of God fell on these people. That must have been an extraordinary sight. And I'm sure um, Luke writing acts probably trying to describe it and put it into words must have been incredibly um, difficult for him. And, and everyone spoke in tongues. Um, I don't know whether you speak in tongues or not. There's, there's no pressure to speak in tongues. Um, but as, as Haifa said, it's, it's an amazing gift. It's a wonderful gift. And, and I actually um, come from the school of thought that I believe it's for everyone that every one of us can speak in songs if we want to. And it, it's a, it is such a, a foundational uh, gift for our, um, for our lives as Christians, that ability to, to connect with God, to talk to God in, in songs, to, to pray in songs, to do warfare in songs, to worship in songs, is a gift that I believe God wants for each one of us. And, uh, and if you don't speak in tongues right now, don't, don't feel that you're a second-class citizen or, or whatever. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. But just seek it. Just say, God, you know, I'd, I would love to speak in tongues. I, I would love to have this, this wonderful prayer language. Um, because it is a wonderful gift. And uh, why, why would Father hold that back from us? He wants us to connect on a deeper level. He wants us to be able to, to connect with him in way deeper than perhaps we've done already. And, you know, um, just to say, I'm going to speak about tongues this morning, but uh, it, it took me a long while to break through in tongues. 
Um, I'd been filled with the Spirit, but I hadn't spoken in tongues. I prophesied and that sort of thing. And I just had to seek, keep seeking after God. And I don't know how many people prayed for me over a period of two or three years for me to speak in tongues. And, and uh, I just couldn't break through. And then one day I just got two or three words. And then after that, it was just, well, just go for it. And it does seem crazy. It does seem daft. And it, I'm, I'm teaching on tongues now, aren't I? It, it, do, it, it does. It, it just seems like mumbo jumbo. But let, let me tell you now, I, I've, I can speak in loads of different tongues, depending on the occasion, sometimes warfare, sometimes intercession, sometimes just worshipping God deeply in tongues is a wonderful gift. And so I encourage you to, to seek that for yourself. So what was it like that day? I, 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 I try and picture it, and I, I, I think I've got something that might help us this morning with this and to understand uh, uh, what it was like. And I don't know if you've heard about the Inuit people who, who lived in, um, who live, still live in, in the barren and, and frozen land that is um, northeastern Canada. Um, I was looking at it on the map this morning and, and thinking to myself that I think I've sort of flown over there. If you go to the sort of south coast of, uh, west coast of America, you sort of do that loop, don't you, over, over Greenland and sort of north of sort of Toronto and the sort of northern part of Canada, you loop over. And I'm thinking to myself, I think I might have flown over uh, where the Inuits um, live. And, you know, it's a pretty brutal climate up there. You can imagine if you looked out of the aeroplane, you've seen it. I mean, it's, it's fit for polar bears and that's about it. I mean, it's just freezing cold and, and snowy. And uh, this place was spiritually barren for years. It was a dark place. Uh, there were no police, no laws, no, no sense of community. You can imagine the, 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 the depression that was in, that, in those communities up there. Uh, drug taking was rife. Suicide rates were incredibly high. Abuse, rape, incest, assaults. It was, it was a dark, hopeless place. And then, and then some people started to pray about it. They started to intercede. And in 1996, they started to really seek God for revival, for God to, in, in desperation for God to do something. And, and the result was that people started get convic getting convicted of sin. And um, you can you can Google this, and, and, and if you've if you've never heard of this before, and and just look at it. But but what happened was they they started to clean out their homes. They started to clean out their lives. They started to burn the things that were in their their homes that that were evil. They stopped listening to heavy rock. Uh, music. They uh, cut out the pornography and the drugs and the alcohol, and 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 God started to show up. And in February 1999, God showed up at a revival meeting at a place called Pond Inlet in Alaska, and uh, there was this incredible visitation of God. It was like the day of Pentecost that we've just been talking about, and people recall that. They were meeting, they were praying, they were worshipping, and this noise started coming. It started softly, and, and people say you could barely hear it at first. And then it kept getting louder and louder and louder, and people were in the room starting to notice that, that people were sh starting to shake, people were starting to get nervous. Um, it seemed like it was a, a jet plane was just sort of firing up and, and going past. And, and Pastor Moses' uh, kayak, um, not to be mixed up with a canoe, Pastor Moses' kayak, uh, describes it like this. He said he, he heard the low pitch rumbling. And so he went to the sound desk and tried to readjust the settings, but nothing happened. He turned the master controls to the lowest setting and still the sound continued. He then turned the sound desk off completely, and yet the sound, as well as the recording of the sound, 
continued and it became louder and louder like a violent rushing wind. And the presence of God was so strong that, that people began to fall to the floor for no reason. Others were confessing their sins and, and, and seeking forgiveness and healing and, and purity. And, and that day, this incredible revival broke out in that place. An incredible revival that touched all the Inuit communities up there. If you, if you go up there, I can show you a website if any of you are interested, but you can see all the communities dotted around where revival touched them and people were set free. The suicide rate dropped through the floor. Crime at all levels diminished. Relationships were restored. Um, unity among the churches occurred. Um, the development of Inuit leaders, homogenous leaders started to happen and the gospel even began to infiltrate the political uh, arena with some mayors opening their council chambers with prayers several times a week. And this barren land suddenly started to become productive again with fish and caribou becoming more populous as well as the land producing plants which yielded berries. Incredible, isn't it? It was almost like they had a Pentecost happen in that place. And the amazing thing is that there is a, a recording of the sound of what happened in that meeting. Did you notice what I said? The minister tried to turn the sound desk down, turn the sound desk off, and yet somehow they managed to record this. And we're going to play it now to you. what Pentecost sounds like I think I think that's a taste of of Pentecost of what happens when the Holy Spirit really shows up in a place and and that's what we need in our church that's what we need in our in our town that's what we need in our our nation right now isn't it for another Pentecost so where does Pentecost originate I'm going to put something up on the screen or it's already on there. Just some information about um, Pentecost, 50, the, the Sunday 50 days after Easter. Uh, it was a Jewish harvest festival. Shavuot um, is what they were celebrating at the time. And it's a Greek name for the Feast of Weeks and also known as the, the Day of First Fruits and the Feast of Harvest. That's what they were celebrating at the time. So where does this Pentecostalism come from? We'll put the next slide up. Pentecostalism. I said earlier, I'm an ordained um, Pentecostal uh, minister and the early Pentecostals came out of a place called Azusa Street. There was an Azusa Street uh, revival in uh, California, in LA. Julia and I have actually visited the spot of it. The, the little chapel isn't there any longer, but there is a, a sign on a lamppost saying this is where the Azusa Street uh, revival is. And uh, then the Welsh revival uh, came out of that. And then uh, Elam itself um, in 1915, the Pentecostal revival swept um, the world and um, Pentecostals held the same beliefs as, as most Christians, but, but with this important dis difference, and we put them on the screen, um, that God's promises about the Holy Spirit were for Christians in every generation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles and healings didn't cease 
with the death of the apostles. That's what Pentecostals believed. They rediscovered something that had been lost to the church. I mean, we take these things for granted, don't we? Mainstream church believes these things. But the Pentecostals at the time, in the early part of last century, had rediscovered something that had been lost for a little while and started just to cry out to God and seek God and, and expect God and believe God that he would, he would work in signs and wonders and miracles and, that, and they start using the gifts of the Spirit and that sort of thing. And so moving to the next screen, um, they rediscovered baptism in the Holy Spirit. They rediscovered Pentecost, if you like. They rediscovered God's power. They preached, so many of them preached, the four-square gospel, that Jesus was the saviour, the healer, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and the coming um, king. And they saw God move in remarkable ways, and they worked particularly amongst uh, the poorer people. This stuff is mainstream today, uh, but I can remember my mother saying to me uh, when we headed off to uh, to the Pentecostal Bible College, to Elim Bible College, uh, we talked about Elim. I didn't even know what Elim was back then. And uh, and uh, I'd been, you know, grown up in a Baptist church all this time. And, and she said to me that when she was a child, the, the Pentecostals were, were way out there. They were like crazy. They, they were described as swinging from the chandeliers. And uh, that's exactly how she described them. But now it's mainstream, isn't it? So much of this stuff is mainstream. It was interesting. I was I was I was reading Premier Christianity, uh, Premier Christianity, and uh, there's this quote on on there about the uh, Pentecostals. If we can put it up, by some estimates, the Pentecostal movement is converting 35,000 new followers each day. At present, the number of Pentecostals are estimated to be 600 million, well over a quarter of the world's Christians. By 2050, that number is expected to reach one billion, or one in ten people on Earth. Amazing, isn't it? So, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm an Elim Pentecostal uh, minister, and uh, I just thought at this point it'd be useful just to, to show you what Elim uh, believe about the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost um, Sunday. Because some of you might wonder, where, where, where do I stand on this? Can we put the next uh, screen up? And Elim have these found, uh, foundational truths, just like every uh, church does. They'd, they'd be pretty similar to what we have in our church, pretty similar to what the EA believes, the Evangelical Alliance. And this is just there, one on the Holy Spirit. You can look on the website. But it, it says this, We believe in the, in the deity of the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and Son and the necessity of his work in conviction of sin, repentance, regeneration, and sanctification. And that, believer, and that the believer is also promised an endowment of power as the gift of Christ through the baptism in the Holy Spirit with signs following. Through this endowment, the believer is empowered for fuller, part, fuller participation in the ministry of the church, its worship, evangelism, and service. So that's what Elim believes. That's what I believe. If you're wondering what endowment means, it, it's a very old-fashioned word, but it means a, a sort of gift, a, an, an investment of, of something spiritual into our lives. And, and so I very much believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in salvation, but but not in dwelling in power, and that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And certainly that was my experience as a Christian uh, growing up. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost on the disciples who were already Christians and followers of Jesus Christ. Plus, Paul, there was an incident at Ephesus, Ephesus if we can put that up, number the next one, um, where they found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. 
That was, that was how I was as a Christian, as a believer in a Baptist church for so many years. I'd not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And uh, so Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This was my experience growing up. But, you know, that's my experience. But I, we were chatting about this at the elders meeting uh, on Monday, and that, that was my experience. But I, and I know that the evangelicals, some evangelicals today believe that you've already filled with the Holy Spirit when you uh, become a Christian, and I get that as well. Here's my thing, okay? This is, what, this is where I stand on it. Just make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. And I actually, I actually think that, that God does as he pleases. I struggle at times to be dogmatic about, you know, when you get saved, you're filled with the Spirit or you're not filled with the Spirit or, you know, the secondary blessing, if you like, the Pentecostal blessing. But my thing is this, just make jolly sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Just make sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit because God has provided it for us for life. And we looked at the work of the Spirit last week and all the Spirit does in our lives. If you weren't here last Sunday, have a look on the, on the podcast. They're available on all the podcasts. But listen to this. Look at, look, let's look at the next PowerPoint, Acts chapter 10. Another, another thing that happened in the New Testament, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. God does as he pleases. He acts as he wants to. In our lives, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Listen, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I put this quote up again from A.W. Tozer, which we used last week, which is so powerful and so true. Satan has opposed the doctrine of the Spirit-filled life about as bitterly as any doctrine there is. He is confused opposed it, surrounded it with false notions and fears. He has blocked every effort of the Church of Christ to receive from the Father her divine and blood-bought patrimony. The Church has tragically neglected this great liberating truth that there is now for the child of God a full and wonderful and completely satisfying anointing with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. That is so true. I grew up in that stuff of being denied this precious Holy Spirit in my life. Pentecost was promised by God. Joel promised, uh, prophesied Pentecost. In the last days, God said, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy i'm just thinking about that as i was preaching about the about your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions i've had a reoccurring dream the last two nights i don't know whether it's a vision or a dream to be honest it's been really weird and if we've got any dream interpreters in here then don't shout out now because it it might be a call to repentance or something I might be sinning in some kind of way. I need some help. Come and see me afterwards. But I've had this dream the last couple of nights. It's really bizarre. This is the dream, right? That, that I'm driving this runaway massive lorry and trying to avoid capture 
by people and they've been driving around all the streets. Well, this has happened the last two nights and last night I actually managed to leave the lorry somewhere and run off and escape. But this has happened the last two nights running so I don't know whether that's a, is that a, I suppose that's an old man. <laughs> Dreaming dreams. Um, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, we, we, we digress. Um, so Joel prophesied uh, Pentecost. Let's move on. John prophesied about the Holy Spirit. John answered them all, I will baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And you know, whenever we see the word baptize that in, the, in the New Testament, or most times we see it in the New Testament, it means, it means to, to, to fully immerse, completely immerse. That's why when we baptize people, we fully immerse them. I've, I've baptised people. I, I remember years ago baptising someone and, and they said to me, Pastor, I wasn't fully immersed. There was a bit of my sort of forehead was, was out of the water. They told me after we'd got out of the pool, fortunately. Um, but now I make flipping sure I baptise them. You are going under, sunshine. You are going, make sure the whole body is under uh, the water. But you know, when we get baptised with the Holy Spirit, that's it. It's, it's like a full immersion thing. It, it's like fully, all of us, completely filled up to the bring with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, Jesus promised to baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire as well. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. Let's put the next PowerPoint up as well. Um, and I will ask, he promised several times and I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. All this I've spoken whilst I'm st while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So Jesus promised it before his resurrection and after his resurrection. He said to them on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promise, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered him and asked him, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, you're at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth is how Jesus responded to them. So if Jesus promised the Holy Spirit several times. If he himself was baptised in the Holy Spirit at his own baptism, how much more do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And Jesus told them that when the Holy Spirit comes, they, they need to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. And of course, they, they all join together constantly in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. They're together, they're united, they're prayerful, they're expectant. And then the wind blew and the fire fell. Almighty God showed up in power. This is what the prophet Joel had prophesied. And so the church was established. You know, I had a, I had a thought this morning as we were praying in our prayer meeting, I was thinking, imagine if those guys hadn't stayed in that room. Imagine if they disobeyed God. 
Imagine if they'd got bored. Imagine if they thought to themselves, oh, the sun's out, I want to go out and do something else. You know, sometimes in our Christian lives, there's going to be inconvenience. There's going to be sacrifice. We're going to have to hang in. We're going to have to press him. We're going to have to seek God a little bit more. We're going to have to wait for him. I wonder what would have happened if there hadn't been obedient to what Jesus said to them, to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so this, this supernatural church was established with supernatural believers. It's incredible, isn't it? When you think these guys were, were, were fearful, they were hiding away, they were, they were timid, they, they were no longer out there doing stuff. And, and this small group of people completely changed the world. I, I'm always struck by the transformation in Peter. You know, Peter who denied Jesus three times, who said, oh, I don't know him. I'm not with him. And just a few days later, is preaching the gospel fearlessly. Acts 2, 4, it says this, those who accepted the message, this is the message that Peter preached, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. I've just put a couple of verses together um, there. Incredible change, isn't there? And then Peter goes out into the community and he, and this guy is by the uh, gate beautiful and who's, who's a cripple and, and he, we, through God's power, he heals this man. These guys were transformed by the power of God, by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost changed them forever. They were different people. And can I say, it was never intended to be a one-off event or a one-off infilling. It was never intended just to establish the church and that be it. And there are Christians today who, who believe that, that it was purely there for the establishment of the church. Well, can I say to you today, politely, read church history. Because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has, has happened repeatedly. Christians have, have, have uh, been used to heal and deliver people. They've used the gifts of the Spirit. There have been revivals pretty much every century through church history. It was the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was not just to establish the church. It did establish the church, but it was not simply to establish the church. And you know, when they were threatened, they prayed and, and God gave them more power. Let's look at Acts chapter four. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. After they prayed, the place where they, they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It wasn't a one-off thing. It wasn't just at Pentecost in the upper room. And the results of this we see in Acts chapter 5. Um, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick onto the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Incredible results. Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, more than once. And we must remember this, that God doesn't just fill us with his Spirit for ourselves. He does it so we can minister in the power of the Holy Spirit, so we can be part of the Great Commission, so that his commission becomes our commission.
his commission, our commission. I read something on Facebook this week and it, it really provoked me and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it, it said something about, you know, why, why, don't we just, why don't we just prayerfully ask God to show us one person who we could reach out to and pray for them and spend time with them and invest in them and love them and care for them and, and create that opportunity where we can share our testimony with them and reach them for Jesus. Just one person. I wonder, is there one person in your life who God will put on your heart to reach out to? Because we get filled with the Holy Spirit for the, for the great commission, his commission, our commission now, to continue on this work. Listen, if I, Pentecost happened all those years ago, but now it's our turn to continue establishing the church, to keep the church moving for future generations, to keep the church there. And it, it means that all of us have a responsibility to, to reach one person, perhaps. One person. I challenge you this morning. Get filled with the Spirit this morning. We're going to pray in a moment too, but get filled with the Holy Spirit. But then who's God calling you? Who's God calling you to reach? His commission, our commission. It's little wonder that, that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day and just put something up about the Holy Spirit if we can. This is what Paul said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can we keep going with the... In the Greek, which I'm an expert on, um, I did do Greek actually at college, so I do understand this stuff. Um, th this, is, this phrase is, um, be filled with the Spirit, is in the imperative mood. It's a command, not an option. You could say, and some of you won't like this because you don't like being told what to do. <laughs> I've been a pastor for a long time. Uh, it's obligatory for every Christian. And I would certainly say this, it's available to every one of us, to every believer. And then keep going. It's in the passive voice. So, so we can't fill ourselves. We've got to ask God to fill us. And it's in the present continuous as well, the present continuous tense. Oh, when I did Bible college, those tenses, they were a nightmare. There's so many of them. But I do understand the present continuous one. Be being filled. It's not a one-off experience. It's an ongoing daily filling. So I'm sat on my sofa this morning going through my, through my sermon, that sort of thing. I'm, I'm sat there with my arms out saying, Holy Spirit, fill me today. I need you to fill me afresh today. I need your power. I need your love. I need your joy, your peace. I need your grace. I need your, you know, I need your hand upon me as a minister this morning. Holy Spirit, fill me. It's a daily experience. And Paul's prayer is God's desire, I believe, for each one of us. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I, I preached a sermon years ago, um, which was entitled, powerless or powerful. Are you, how do you, where are you? Powerless or powerful? God wants us to be powerful, filled with power, not powerless. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Yes. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Yes. We need faith, don't we? We need faith. 
We need faith. We need to faith to, to live, to move, to share faith with people, to stand up for what's right and what's, and what's wrong on our front lines, all that stuff on the front lines of be fruitful. We need faith so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's worth dwelling on for a moment, isn't it? What does that look like? to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As I look at that right now, as I'm just thinking as I read it, it's not in my notes, but the, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know what that says to me immediately, what shouts out to me from that? There's more. There's more for each one of us. There's more than you're experiencing. You're, you, there is more to God than you're experiencing right now. There is more fullness to your Christian life than you're experiencing right now. There's more of the Holy Spirit. There's more power. There's more anointing. There's a deepening of the gifts that God's put in you. There's a release of those gifts that are latent right now. There's more to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God incredible thought isn't it it's worth meditating on this week what does that look like what does that mean to be to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God I guess I guess we have to say to God this morning don't we it's a prayer I've, I've prayed over the years so many times is Lord increase my capacity to receive you you know, get rid of all the garbage, the sin, the muck, the stuff that's tripping me up, the stuff that's distracting me. Help me get rid of all that stuff and enlarge my capacity like a reservoir. Make it bigger to, for more of you to, to dwell inside me. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Andrew Murray says this, the greatest need of the church and the thing which above all of us believers ought to seek with, for with one mind and with all their heart is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every day ought to be a Pentecostal season in the Church of Christ. Every day. Whether you're a Pentecostal or not. You don't have to be a Pentecostal. You don't have to be a Pentecostal minister. But Pentecost is in the Bible. <laughs> so... So, so we need to be filled, don't we? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I said last week, didn't I, that I loved these verses that um, they're not on the screen, but about Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So how can I be filled? And we just put this up. It's the final verse. It's already up. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You just need to ask. You just need to seek. You just need to be hungry. And God will fill you. So shall we stand together?